Okay, you can turn your Bible to Revelation 22. We'll look at the end of the book today. The uh, last large section of chapter 22. And the text is also printed in the bulletin. Hopefully you remembered, uh, if you're joining us on Zoom, that the bulletins are online on our website, ascensionpc.org slash worship. And hopefully if you're here with us, you remember to pick one up on your way in. Um, So the book of Revelation opens... It opens uh, with a glorious introduction of the Lord Jesus. He's described with exalted, poetic language, uh, like you find, really, in the Song of Songs. Same kind of language. Um, Because uh, he's the great bridegroom. He's the great bridegroom king. And Revelation closes with a long description of the glories of his bride. The new Jerusalem, his faithful people, the church. So our relationship with the Lord is portrayed uh, throughout the book of Revelation, really throughout the scriptures. It's portrayed as a love story. Our relationship with the Lord is a story of love. It's so great that it'll change the whole world. It's the true fairy tale, so to speak, with an ending that rings through eternity and God and his people live happily ever after. Amen. Uh, I have an old copy of, uh, well, it's... Not so old, but it's a copy of the old fairy tales uh, as they were written and collected and recorded uh, by Charles Perrault uh, sometime in the 1600s in stories uh, like Little Red Riding Hood, Sleeping Beauty, and Cinderella, stories that I wasn't even aware. These are more than 400 years old, all these stories. And, uh, And each of them, each of these little stories, these fairy tales, after the story is told, it includes a moral uh, it includes a moral, a lesson, right? So the moral of the story, you've heard of that, and that comes from, like, the ending of fairy tales. Tell this story, this great love story, this magical story, and then there's this moral of the story afterwards. It's something that the fairy tale is meant to teach you, something you're supposed to distill out of this fairy tale, <clears throat> something that's meant to teach you some wise warning uh, or some instruction for living a good life. And so that's something like what we have here at the end of Revelation. After the, the, the great happy ending to the greatest and truest love story that's ever been told, as we emerge from the visions Jesus has given to John for the churches, there's this, this morals of the story here at the end of the book. We could say that there are a few of them or several, several morals of the story here, but I think they really all can be wrapped up. They can be wrapped up in one word. And that word is come. After the great love story of Jesus... And his bride has been told the only thing left to say is come. It's a word of longing for greater closeness to Jesus. It's a word of invitation. It's a word of desire for true fellowship with others and more and more others. It's a reassuring word to others of welcome. Jesus has told his story, and now he calls for a response So let's hear what he has to say. Let's pray, then we'll read the scripture. Father, we are always in the greatest need of your Son, whether we're always aware of it or not. We pray now that you would give us what we most need. You know best what we need, better than we do. So we pray that you'd give it to us. Give us what we need most as we hear your words, as we hear your voice. Even now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
And he said to me, this is verse 6, 22, verse 6. He said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things, and when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of this prophecy, of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and let the filthy still be filthy. And let the righteous still do right. And let the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he's done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they might have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So here we are at the end of uh, Revelation. The story's been told. The final visions of the future have been given, and we're, we're being fully assured that it's all true. Three witnesses here are given. Jesus... And his angel messenger and John, and all three are testifying that what has been revealed in this book is true. John says he was commanded not to seal up the words of this book. That is to say, this book that he was given these visions and instructed to write these things and give them to the churches, this book is intended to be read by all. It's intended to be understood by all, because all need to be prepared for the return of Jesus. And there's this severe warning not to tamper with the contents of this book. Jesus will be very cross with anyone who distorts his message in any way, who adds to or takes away from the scripture that's written to his people, somebody who who cherry-picks the good parts and ignores the difficult parts or cuts them out, the parts that they don't like, or who ultimately are making themselves judges of the the Word of God. 
Jesus cares very much that we hear God's word as it truly is. He cares very much that we receive it, that we submit ourselves to it. Don't make ourselves judges of it. When we don't submit ourselves to God's word, when we uh, refuse to receive from him and to hear from him the way things really are and the, the way things really will be in our relationship with him, we don't submit ourselves to God's word. We wrench ourselves out of relationship with God, and we dismantle our whole reality. The first ones who did that, the first ones who warped and denied God's word, they were cast out of the garden, and the curse was added to them, and the tree of life was taken away from them. They were excommunicated from God's presence in Eden. And anyone who does not submit to God's word in repentance and faith will similarly be excommunicated from his new Eden and from his church even now, where the blessing of eternal life is for those who trust him, who enjoy a relationship with the God of of truth, who enjoy a relationship with him because we've heard what he has to say to us and we receive his word and we receive his gospels. When you boil it down, the essence of the word of revelation, of all of it, And the distillation of the gospel that we find in this book, the essence of it, Jesus says it three times in our passage, I'm coming soon. I'm coming soon. That's what the good news of the book of Revelation boils down to. Behold, it says in verse 12, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he's done. So in the immediate context of the book of Revelation, it's written to the early church. They're facing hostility from the Romans and from the Jews. Jesus was speaking of coming in judgment, coming in judgment at the fall of Jerusalem that happened in the year 70 A.D. He was coming to vindicate his faithful people. He was coming to free them from the persecution that they were suffering. He was coming to repay unbelieving Israel for their spiritual adultery. So in that sense, when Jesus was reassuring the churches here, he's saying, I'm coming soon. I am coming soon. He meant in the next few years, in that sense. Not that Jesus returned bodily in the year 70, but he did come in judgment. He came to vindicate his true and faithful people and to free us from the oppression of the old Jerusalem as it was destroyed in God's wrath. And that, for us, as the the scriptures wrap up here, that's the last great biblical picture of God's coming in judgment that points forward to the end of all things. You've got uh, picture after picture throughout the scriptures. Moses and people of Exodus, the exile to Babylon and deliverance out of Babylon. All these pictures that point forward to the end of all things, when God will finally, once and for all, come in judgment, when Jesus will return bodily to the earth to judge all the living and the dead and to save his people once and for all. So in that sense, when Jesus reassures us, I'm coming soon, I'm coming soon, he's not making a statement about the short number of years, obviously. He's making a statement about the imminence. The imminence of his return. It's inevitable. It's unavoidable. And it could happen at any moment. 
Jesus will return, and it'll be all of a sudden. And everything will be transformed, and it will happen at some point. You can be sure of it. It could happen while we're still gathered for worship this morning, while we're praying for it to happen. That'd be perfect. It could happen at 2 a.m. when you're fast asleep. It'll still be perfect when Jesus comes. It could happen while you're at work or at school. It could happen while you're having a baby. That would be crazy. It'd still be perfect. It could happen while you're on your deathbed or just after you die or long after you die. There's a good chance it'll happen when you're least expecting it. Ever since Christ ascended into heaven, we've been living in what the Bible calls the last days. A whole age that is largely shaped by the beloved bride's anticipation of the bridegroom's imminent return. The proclamation that Jesus is coming, that he's coming soon, is a polarizing truth. Right? Different people will have different reactions to it. For the bride, it's a, a moment that's anticipated with longing. For others, it's a moment that's anticipated with dread. Jesus doesn't obscure the truth about that. He doesn't obscure the truth to get votes or likes. He doesn't backpedal when what he says generates conflict. He lets his word be what it is. And it is unequivocally good news for his people. Let the wicked have their wicked reaction to him. Let the righteous have their righteous response to him. Either you want Jesus to return or you don't. And he knows that and he says, behold, I'm coming soon. He doesn't modify his message because he anticipates a negative reaction. He doesn't use the truth transactionally. Jesus is personally committed to the truth of his word. He is personally committed to keep his promises to his people. And that's the foundation for our faith. That's the reason why we can continue in our faithfulness to him, which is what this this whole book of Revelation is a call to us to continue in our faithfulness to him. And the only foundation for that is his faithfulness to his word, to his promises. If he were not true to his word, we would have nothing. We would have nothing. Go ahead and do whatever it is you think is best if Jesus is not true to his word. I mean it quite literally. If God were not true to his word, there would be nothing. There would be no thing if God were not true to his word. If Jesus were not true to his word, we could believe, we could trust nothing. And no one. The best philosophers have looked for centuries for some other foundation for for reality some other foundation for our knowledge of reality, for knowing what's real, for knowing what's good, some other foundation for hope. And they found nothing apart from the trustworthiness of God's word. Jesus is true to his word. That's emphatic here. Jesus has promised repeatedly that he is coming soon. Jesus will repay each one for what he has done. Those who continue in their rebellion against him, they'll receive perfect justice from the coming king and they'll find themselves on the outside in outer darkness, the way Jesus talks about it. 
forever. Those who belong to him, those who entrust themselves to Jesus, who repent of their sins, who at least begin to take him at his word, who wash their robes by his grace and they live by faith that works itself out through love, they'll also receive the right to the tree of life and they'll enter his eternal city by the gates. There's no other way to get in. And that's the polarizing truth of the good news of his return. And the only thing left for you to do, the only thing left for any of us to do, is to respond to what you've heard. And here's the response that is suggested by Jesus and recommended by the church and by the Spirit. Come. Come. Come back in from the wilderness. Come back in from excommunication from God's presence. Come to Jesus for forgiveness and acceptance and eternal life. Come in repentance and faith. Come to the church and join us in our worship of the one true God. Come and join us in our fellowship together in our spiritual communion that we share as a gift of his grace. Come. Verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come and let the one who hears say, come and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Now, it could be that the first part of that verse uh, is the spirit and the bride, which is the church, beckoning Jesus, actually, to come, to come again. Like he said, I'm coming soon. But I think John uh, leaves it a bit ambiguous on purpose, um, as he often does. And it's wonderful, I think, for us to consider that this invitation is for you. This invitation is for all peoples. In the last couple chapters of Revelation, we've heard about the nations being welcome. To enter into the new heaven and new earth through faith in Jesus. To enter into the new Jerusalem through the gates that are always open. To find, come and find healing in the the leaves of the tree of life in the new Eden. So after all these visions of Revelation are laid out, one final word goes out to the nations. From the Spirit from the Spirit of God, and from the bride, from the church, the mouthpiece of the Spirit, if you will. And it's a word of invitation. It's a word of welcome. Come one, come all. There's plenty of room for everyone. As Jesus says in Matthew 11, come you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. It says in Psalm 66, come and see what the Lord has done. Psalm 95, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Come, let us worship and bow down. Come. Isaiah 55, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, come anyway. You have no spiritual resources, come. You know what? Buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Without price to you. Jesus picked up the tab. Jesus paid your bill. Jesus paid your debt. He paid your entrance fee to God's presence, so to speak. So it's at no price to you, but great cost to himself. At the cross, he was excommunicated so that you could come. God spared no expense to welcome you into his kingdom. So come, come and enter. The story, the great story, the the great true love story 
of the bridegroom and his bride come and enter the story in the honored place of the bride. The beloved bride. You get that privilege. Come to him for a relationship that will never end through faith in him. This is what the Spirit says throughout the Scriptures. It's what the Spirit says to all nations through us, through the bride. And when someone new comes in, when someone new comes to faith in Jesus, comes into the church, he or she is granted the same privilege of joining this chorus of calling yet others to worship. Let the one who hears, that's you, that's your friends who might come here someday, let the one who hears the call to come, let the one who hears say, come. Call for others to come to Jesus. Call for others to come to the church and join the bride in her worship. Become a fisher of men like the rest of us. Join us in the great commission that the Lord has given us to call all the nations to come and follow Jesus. Come and speak and sing with confidence about all that this means for our future. It's something no one else in the world can do. Speak and sing with confidence about the future? Don't be anxious about the future. Don't be depressed about the future. Don't even be uncertain about the future. Don't be directionless about the future. Don't be hopeless about the future. Proclaim with us to the world that our future is shaped by the promised return of the crucified and risen Lord Jesus. He's our future. His coming, His return is our future. So come join us in blessing all with the grace of the Lord Jesus and join us as we do call even Jesus himself to come. Jesus says in verse 20, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come Lord Jesus. This is the urgent prayer. This is our greatest longing and he's going to answer it. He's going to come in response to our call. This is the great privilege of the bride to call to her bridegroom. Come, Lord Jesus, come for us. Come, Lord Jesus, and be with your people. Come, Lord Jesus, make all things new. Come, Lord Jesus, let us see you. Come, one who is faithful and true, and fulfill all your promises. Come, Alpha and Omega, and be our all in all. Come, root and descendant of David, and bring your peaceable kingdom. Come, bright morning star, and announce the dawn of eternity. It's our privilege to call for him, and he'll respond. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, you've given us a share in your son's life. You've allowed us to participate in his own mission. You sent him into the world to call all peoples to yourself. And now here we are on his behalf, calling all peoples to you. We pray that you would grant us a true sense of the privilege that it is to join with the chorus 
of calling the world to come back out of excommunication, out of exile, out of the wilderness, to come back into your presence, into the light and life and love and joy and peace of a relationship with you through faith in Jesus. We pray that you would give us a great desire to call to our friends, our family, and our neighbors, to all. Give us a great desire to call to them to come into your presence and join with us, to join with your people, to freely come and find a welcome in your grace. And we pray that, Lord Jesus, you would come again soon. We long to see you face to face. We long for your kingdom to be fully established and finally established here on earth as it is already in heaven. We pray that you would come and show your face to your people. Lift up your face upon us. We look forward. We will see you one day in all of your glory with these eyes, our own eyes. We will see you because you live, because you've promised that we will live with you forever. And we pray that that day would come soon. In Jesus' name, amen.